Welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we finally see Venom, Hickman takes some projects to TV, we join the hunt for Wolverine, and see how Legion is doing so far. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I am David Luzader. Nick's your mooks, and this is somewhere out there. I'm not quite sure. And you are, of course, the listening audience, the ones that we do this all for. And, and guys, we're here in the week of Infinity War. We're going to find out if these last 10 years of our lives have been well-invested or entirely wasted, because really those are the only kind of two options. I, I feel like there could be a middle ground where it, like we got to enjoy everything on its individual... No, Nick, this is the age of hyperbole. Oh. In which case, well, in which case then I want to point out that there was a missed opportunity in your opening, and I guess I should say our opening, where you could have said, Hickman goes to Hollywood. We're past that. That's uh, you know, we can move on with our lives. Uh, yeah, but the Infinity Wars this week. What day are you seeing it on? I'm seeing it. Um, well, I'm seeing it Thursday. And when are you seeing it? I haven't bought tickets yet. Okay, so Nick might not be seeing it this weekend. I I think there's a pretty good shot. I think there's theaters like I can't go to a theater where there's only like one theater room. Like I, if I go to one where there's a lot, I'll probably get some kind of seat. Um, but but we yeah we, we shall see. Uh, I've got D and D tomorrow, so I can't go nerd. tomorrow night. Did you just call me a nerd? Yeah. Cool. Um, but hopefully sometime this weekend I will get a chance to see it. But are you excited? I am, yeah, I, I really am. Um, you know, we're gonna kind of a little bit later in the show just talk about because you and I rewatched all the MCU movies, which I'm some, I'm amazed you were able to do that in time for this right, movie. Uh, <laughs> right, and uh, and so I can, you know just kind of revisiting the the MCU a little bit, and I'll share some of my thoughts, the positives and the negatives. I don't want to get too much on that now, but all that being said. I do enjoy the MCU. I am excited for this upcoming film. I don't want to spoil too much of my thoughts now, though, as we're going to get into those later. So why don't we just go ahead and get ourselves into the news. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Well, our first story is that Venom finally has released, uh, well, its first official trailer. We got the teaser before, and now there is a trailer out in which we see what Venom is going to look like. And spoiler alert. He, he looks, looks like pretty, Venom. Yeah, he looks pretty good. Uh, he looks he, like Venom. We didn't, I don't think we got a really good look at his chest. No, so I feel we, like he's going to forego having a spider symbol, symbol because right. it just doesn't make any sense for him to have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be curious. Suppose there's been a back and forth where this Venom movie isn't taking place in the MCU, and then it is, and then it isn't. But it, but it is. It's not. I, I'm leaning towards it's definitely not taking place in the MCU. Um, but what what do you think? I don't th- I don't think it will either, and I think that that is fine. I think that. Uh, it is okay for there to be standalone superhero movies in this you know crazy landscape like not everything because there was this thing that was happening a few years ago where it was like hasbro has announced its interconnected gi joe transformers universe and there's going to be like care bears and shit in there and there was like that was kind of like the craze and now i think like, like, like that's kind of died down i think i'm like i'm okay with superhero movies obviously not all of them where you can do the interconnected universe stuff. That's a lot of fun, but where you can, you know, where you don't need to do that and you're okay. Just doing like, here's a one-off of this one character. Like that's fine. Yeah. Now, uh, about, uh, so I think venom, uh, the character 
looks really good. I think the 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 look of Venom in this movie is really good. I like that there is the whole voice talking to him sort of thing. Uh, it seems like they're trying to play some level of psychological horror. To what extent, we don't know. Uh, for the story itself, I mean, it's a trailer. It's so hard to tell, you know. And yeah, okay, they're calling it okay. So if 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 your complaint about this movie based on the trailer is they pronounce it symbiote. Oh, who cares? Like, both are fine pronunciations. It's like a made-up word anyway. Like, who cares? Symbiote. Okay, so it's a weird pronunciation. Move on. If your complaint is, well, the CGI doesn't look that good. The CGI looks fine for the trailer you saw where it was quickly rendered to get a trailer out there for you. If your complaint is like, how can you do Venom without Spider-Man? You're not a creative human being and, and have fun living in your like sad little boxes for the rest of your life. Like, let the movie come out and judge on its own merits. Based on this trailer, it's hard to tell how things are going to go. But I did like the look that we got of the character itself. In terms of Venom, yeah. I mean, you're right that in this in this sense, we have to separate what we know and expect and maybe even hope for. And judge it on its own merits, because my biggest takeaway from the trailer, my biggest, I guess, gripe, if you want to call it, was that Eddie Brock yeah. doesn't seem to be the Eddie Brock that from the comics. And I, and so, I, kind, of, and I kind of have, uh, you know, I've, the where I've kind of fallen on that is I, I agree with you that uh, it's definitely not the Eddie Brock from the comics. But at the same time, if you're in a world without Spider-Man, you need to have, uh, you know, if you're going to be playing, this is an anti-hero because it's a good guy who's trying to fight off his baser nature. Uh, you need to have a stronger good guy conscience in there, you know. You need you need something to play against. What what is uh, you know Venom being like? I want to kill people, and he's like, well, if we're gonna hurt people, like let's hurt bad people. Like it wouldn't work if it was like Eddie, because Venom st- straight up started out as like a villain, like let's kill Spider Man and kill anybody who gets in our way, sort of thing. And like if you don't have Spider Man, if you don't have going through that, like you kind of gotta skip that part of it. Uh, also, especially if you're going to make the character the the protagonist of a movie, right. like you can do villain centric plots. But I mean, I, I feel like those and are I think pe- there's a those way that you can tell a villain honest. as a protagonist story without falling into or uh, hitting the pitfalls where like they're more redeemable characters or like you know they're they, they're they're super evil and they do all these terrible things, but you know they love puppies just like everyone else. They're, that's what they like suicide squad that's what they usually fall back on uh-huh. um that they're never as bad as you think which i mean realistically for a lot of people in the world like yeah that's true like there are people that do really terrible things and get caught up in bad crime behaviors but at their core like aren't intentionally bad people or maybe just got a bad rap or society looks down on them whatever the case may be <laughs> excuse me and i agree that because spider-man is not here eddie brock doesn't have someone to play off of and that in the Spider-Man comics, he's a supporting slash antagonist character to Spider-Man. And in the comics, like Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, like ruined everything for him. So there's like a revenge story there. I guess this is an Eddie Brock who becomes Venom, where he never had to conf- never had to confront in that sense without without because right now he has the Venom like he's he seems to be a well-to-do journalist that's just trying to get to the truth of things. Like he's a good guy, uh, and then he gets saddled with this thing that definitely has darker instincts that he has to try and temper. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the comics, Venom started off as a guy that had his own, you know, dark history, dark thoughts, dark, dark temperament. And the Venom symbiote just kind of exacerbated that because the, the symbiote, I'm just going to call it the symbiote to piss people off. <laughs> I'm um, all for it. Um, you know, was rejected by Peter. And I, I was actually reading a thread on this earlier today where there was actually the whole, when Peter finally gets rid of the symbiote, um, the symbiote actually saves Peter uh, because of the way that he was doing it, like the bell, I, I guess, would have killed him. I don't know. It was kind of probably stupid. But um, the symbiote, like, left Peter and then, like, like kind of, like, touched Peter's face affectionately and then left. So the implication being that the symbiote was fond of Peter but accepted the fact that it was being rejected. So you have this rejected symbiote merged with this guy that's like, hates Peter Parker and just how that, like, really unhealthy bond explodes into what ends up becoming venom yeah uh no yeah that's i mean people 
comic book nerds, me being one of them, but it's like kind of nerds in general are like, we want things to be different and weird. And then it's like, okay, well, here's a new take on something. Why are you changing it? It's got to be this way. And I know there's different voices for different stuff. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to lump everybody into just one mono yeah, voice. voice. Uh, obviously, we are, the, we are the collective. We are many. Um, but... Yeah, like, like, like I always, I always go back to the to the Deadpool thing, where Deadpool in the comics is just a guy who goes around. He's a he's a mercenary. He goes around doing stuff for money, and yeah, occasionally he's like a he's like a hero because he finds a cause to believe in or whatever. But in general, he's kind of like a dick. That it's like if you pay him enough, he's gonna he's really gonna mess stuff up. In the movie, he's the mercenary with a heart of gold, and who takes these like jobs of like you know, telling boys to stop stalking their girlfriends. And then like his entire motivation for the movie is love. Like that is not a Deadpool story, but it works really well uh, for the film. So to say like, well, you know, Peter Parker's not there. So how are they going to make this work? It's like that. Don't be limited by your, by like a a sad little imagination. Like, are they going to pull it off? Maybe not. There's a real possibility of that. Could they pull it off? Sure. We just have to be open to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you go into it with a close, I definitely want to go into this film with a closed mind. At this point, I accept that, you know, it's not the Eddie Brock that I might hope for or want. I mean, the the biggest change I want is what is that voice Tom Hardy is doing? My name is Eddie. My name is Eddie Brock. I'm gonna get to the store. He doesn't. It's like he kind of is falling back almost on his Bane voice. Like he can't do like. Like he has his you know sexy British voice or whatever, but then when he tries to do an American accent, it comes out really weird. weird. I would oh I would love if he can't do an American accent without sounding insane. Uh, <laughs> but last last on the Venom trailer, I think before I move on, that transformation sequence was awesome. That was when, really like, the, cool. The head actually comes over. Yeah, it comes over Eddie Brock's head. Oh, uh, that was really rad looking. And my favorite edit of that was somebody who put googly eyes on Venom. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, so Venom, uh, check it out. It comes out in October, right? I believe so, yes. Cool. So Venom, check it out if you want. Uh, Patty Jenkins is sticking with movie news. Uh, Patty Jenkins confirms that Wonder Woman 2 will take place in the 1980s this time around. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. You know, um, I'll be curious to see... What the impact of Justice League, obviously, and timeline-wise, Justice League takes place after this. But in terms of like the critical reception of Justice League, what uh, WB's evolving DCEU plans are, mm-hmm. like how much that might be impacting a Wonder Woman sequel. Um, well, I mean, a, a Wonder Woman. I, I think this Wonder Woman sequel has been in development for a while. I, you know. I think even before Justice League came out, they probably had a plan of like, here's how the story is going to go. So I don't think right. like I don't think it's like, well, Justice League didn't do great. Why don't you Why don't you do another period piece there, Patty? Like she probably no, no, came to the. I think, the, the, I think yeah. the discussions uh, before Justice League was around doing another period piece, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I guess maybe I soured because of like the X Men films constantly doing period pieces, which period pieces are fine. But there's also part of me that just wants to see these characters operating in present day, in right. a sense that well, like it feels more relevant. Um, and I'm just speaking for my own preferences. Like with Wonder, I mean, with even though like you know, sure, Wonder Woman came out in the 19, early 1940s. I don't think she was the late 30s character. I think she was early 40s. I think um, so. Yeah. You know, so obviously she was created in a completely different decade. Um, but she's one of the characters, unlike, say, the Shadow, that have by and large evolved into being characters that really work within modern context. Um, whereas, like, for example, the Shadow, like, has never really left his pulp roots in, like, the decade that he came out in. Um, so for me, like, setting a, a movie in the 80s, it's like, it's a period piece, but Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman doesn't necessarily speak to the 80s. She's she's much more universal, so like you could just set her in the present and it'd be fine. You, it'd be said you could set her in the eighties and it's fine. But then I feel like thinking kind of uh, X Men Apocalypse, which was in the eighties, right? But also in the eighties that they tend to kind of like make sure that you know what decade they're taking place in. So here's all the cultural references and here's what's going on at the time. I mean, and 
Instead of just focusing on the story at hand? Yes, I think in the hands of people like Brian Singer, in the hands of Patty Jenkins. I don't know if that's... I don't think they're going to be like, make it more... You know, we might have like one scene of like Diana with giant blown out hair, which will be awesome and hilarious. But I don't think think they're going to be like, guys, look at it. It's the 80s, right? Whoa, look at all the bright colors. Was the 80s full of bright colors? As far as I know, I don't know. We were born at the tail end of it. We are 80s babies. Maybe the movie will be set in 1988 on my birthday this next month. Not going there. Um, <laughs> existential crisis. <laughs> Heck um, yeah, existential crisis. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I don't have a whole lot to say in terms of it taking place in the 1980s. It's definitely a wait and see approach. Like, I mean, you can, yeah. as long as, at the, end of, at the end of the day, as long as the execution of the film is good. Yeah. As long as it's executed well, then it doesn't really matter when it takes place. So apparently, I didn't know this, Aquaman's release date is December now. I it's thought been it, December for a while. I thought it was November. I guess they moved that. Um, it would, you know, it would be nice just to have them kind of be like, hey guys, here's what's, I mean, I know that they kind of announced like, all right, we're going to step back and be a little bit hands-off with the DCEU. We're going to let the creators just tell what the story they want to tell. You know, and obviously stuff is still happening. James Wan has filmed a Aquaman movie, and they are doing uh, further shoots right now. I know they had another actor recently join the cast for the reshoots. Uh, Shazam is currently in full swing for about a year from now. Wonder Woman 2 is obviously happening. But there's like, you know, there's like the Matt Reeves Batman film. There's all the stuff of like uh, the Harley Quinn movie, possibly more like Suicide Squad stuff. Uh it would just be nice to kind of have them come out and be like, okay, here's where we're at. And here's what's happening moving forward. You know, we're, we're not going to do like, like there's also the new gods announcement and stuff like that. Like I just, I would like to know where things are currently. I guess the question of how does it matter if they're trying to be a little more disconnected, like, or it, may honestly what they could do is if they just focus on Oh, kind of. I mean, it might seem like it's too late, but doing the Marvel step where like they start with the individual characters and then work their way up to an ensemble piece, like yeah, like they could work their way up to a Justice League too, but kind of still treat it as a reboot almost. Like you know, to a Justice League happen. So now we're gonna get the Aquaman movie. We're gonna get the Wonder Woman two movie. Presumably, we'll get a Flash movie at some point. Maybe even if they do Flashpoint, that will kind of help with Justice League two being a reboot esque. Um, that kind of brings them back together again. But now that like we've had time to explore these individual characters on their own terms, when they do come back into a, a, an ensemble piece, there might be less expectations on like, give me enough of Aquaman, give me enough right, of Flash. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, and then you could also include Shazam in there, and they have a new opportunity to kind of redefine what the look of their cinematic universe is. Yeah. Because um, I mean, Shazam should not look like a Zack Snyder film. No, no. And I don't think that uh, James Wan's take on Aquaman is going to look like a Zack Snyder film. Obviously Wonder Woman didn't look like a Zack Snyder film. Uh, and you know, I was on, I, I don't I don't remember, it may have been Twitter or something, but like Joe Manganiello tweeted out something about when he was Deathstroke. And that was a whole thing they were setting up. And it's like, cool, let's, do something like let's do something with that let's i just you know they don't have to come out and tell me like here's our plan for the next 15 films and here's you know here's when justice league 2 is coming out i just want them to come out and be like okay of the projects that we have announced here is what is in production here is what is moving forward here is what's in limbo here is what we are just stepping away from entirely. Like that's where I currently am is because it's just like, it's too much. Like we announced Harley Quinn, Matt Reeves, Batman, uh, new gods. When's that? Well, okay, cool. When's that happening? I don't know. Right. Oh, it's to be fair. None of these have ever been officially announced from WB. I mean, I believe, I believe all of them have just been like teased or no, like no, certain creators on no. them that they're working on, but. If you have, have if you have if you have WB has hired Matt Reeves to direct a Batman movie like that is them announcing a Batman movie like I yeah they haven't announced it in the sense of like here and it's coming out summer 2019 but they are like we hired him for this job and he's talked about it like that's right but I mean I I mean they you're right so in that sense there is a Batman movie but I mean <clears throat> excuse me how like 
if it's still like they're still working on the scripts, the scripting stages, there's still plenty of time for it to completely fall through. So it's more just like right, once I hear that the it, principal photography on Batman is scheduled, and that's what I want. That's what I want to know is is it still yeah, in scripting or is it like hey we are like we're not filming it. It's not happening. That like just come on. I mean maybe and is maybe it gonna be maybe, Ben Affleck or something. Right, else? right, and maybe maybe you know this summer at Hall H they'll kind of give us a nice overview of like hey here's where things stand. So. You know, I'm I'm not trying to get too up in arms about it. Uh, it's summer con season kicking off, and hopefully we'll finally James Wan get that Aquaman trailer. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, now we're gonna move to the small screen, and East of West and Transhuman will be heading to TV via Skybound Entertainment. So that means Robert Kirkman will be helping get those off the ground. Transhuman and East of West have both been optioned uh, by Amazon as live-action television series, and they are from the minds of Jonathan Hickman and are drawn by J.M. Ringgut and Nick Dragota. Uh, Nick Dragota doing East of West, uh, East of West and J.M. Ring, Ringwit uh, doing Transhuman. Uh, they will be produced by Kirkman's Skybound Entertainment, and uh, now they are getting a first look deal at Amazon, which means Amazon could pass on these, but they have the first right to say yes or no. I don't see how you can possibly make an East of West TV show. It's one of those things where, not unlike, say, a Lord of the Rings TV show that apparently Amazon is committed to. For like five years. For five years. What did you say? Yeah, it's like they, they, I mean, they, they have said, they have, said, I mean, obviously, if the first couple of, like, the first season doesn't get good ratings and it's a real, you know, shit show, they won't make any more. But they have said, like, yeah, we're going to, we're thinking about five seasons. Okay. Um, I mean, but with East of West, like, it's the kind of thing where you really don't want to shortchange the aesthetic of the world. Like, it has a very specific aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think and you're going to do it. 35 you know, plot lines. And 35 plot lines. Which, I mean, Game of Thrones can show that you can do fairly easily digestible multiple plot lines. And maybe maybe not all of them are going to make the cut, like, going into this. And I, I like East of West, even though I'm woefully behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will probably be some sacrifices in terms of not focusing on certain characters as much. Um, but you still, like, in terms of the way that the, the world looks, like, I, I, as a fan, like, I would not want them to, you know, shortchange. Uh, how how that environment could look and like the characters, yeah. how the characters dress and the look, know, and, but that's going to require quite the budget for an Amazon streaming TV show. Yeah, the pro- like this would be a super CGI heavy production, and I th- I I think that a TV show is a better way to go over, um, over a movie. Absolutely, it's just like you're going to have to really commit to building a couple of like really good looking sets where most of the action is going to happen. And uh, then CGI us some discrete scenes, but like there's like uh, like some of these really crazy characters and yeah yeah I'm I'm curious but I yeah, I mean it's yeah yeah it's definitely gonna be a, the, they're definitely gonna lean on CGI so hopefully it's good CGI but now that I think about it, like a lot of the book takes place like in the desert yeah so they could get away with some with some distant but it's like... um, shots of like the cityscape and then you zoom into like a room that's a set. But you just, know, for the presidential office. Or right, something. right. But think of like any time with the First Nation, and those guys have like glowing uh, robots following them at all times, and they've got like giant, crazy like headpieces on. Right. Uh, Though that 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 will be, I think, based on the First like, Nation, they, that they, would be my barometer for excess. Like if they screw they, up the First Nation. Yeah, they fly in in like golden ships all the time. True. Which again, I mean, you could accomplish with CGI. Hopefully, competent CGI. But in terms of the characters. I hope that they don't shortchange the character costumes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think production-wise, when it comes to, like there, this is an opportunity for some amazing production design. It really, for me, comes down to the CGI could really break this thing. Also, I have never read Transhuman, so I cannot speak to that one. Yeah, I can't speak to Transhuman at all. I actually have not really read any of Hickman's early work that kind of got made him a known quantity. Uh, was it one of his earlier books? Just, I think Transhuman was one of his earlier books, but I could be wrong. I did not know that. Now, huh, when did... Okay, so I... This was last year that they moved their 
deal from AMC to Amazon. Okay. Who? Uh, Skybound. I guess Skybound. Oh, they. There. Oh, yeah, yeah. They they did move from from AMC. Probably because AMC is constantly mired in controversy over how they well, handle they, The Walking Dead. No, the deal with AMC expired, and so they moved over and signed a new deal with Amazon. Right, but to me, that's that's telling in the sense of why not re up with with AMC. Because you know? AMC is making enough money off The Walking Dead, why do they care? They they might not care, but at the same time, wouldn't AMC want as many profitable Kirkman properties as they can get? Uh, hmm. You know, yeah, that's a that's a good question, but uh, I mean that but we, the we walking, don't make the decisions. The, we don't make the decisions. The Walking Dead just prints money, man. It just prints money. Even though, like, I, I'm not saying this in a doomsaying way, but, like, it's something about, like, the ratings have been, like, their lowest. Oh, yeah. You know, which no, I think it's... lowest for Walking Dead is still probably uh, another TV let's... show's wet dream. But Let's see, actually. Let's let's look up The Walking Dead. Uh, Lauren Cohen to return for... Okay, so Maggie's still alive. I don't care if I'm spoiling anything for people. I'm just, like, that's kind of where I'm at with this show. So season eight is what we're currently in. It looks like let's go down to the episodes and see the rating. So they, oh, is the season over? Yeah. Okay. It like just ended. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it premiered to 11 million, which is pretty big. And it's lowest. It got into like 6.3 million at one point, which yeah, for AMC is for this show is low, but I mean, you're right. There are so many shows that would kill for, that number. I mean, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has been holding on with less than two million viewers per episode. So, yikes! And that's yeah, that's tough. With I mean, I think it's a discussion for another time. But just in terms of how the current structure is for judging the worth of a television show, that especially when you have so many options, like you know, if like five really really good shows all air at the same exact time, and you can only choose one. You know. Yeah. Makes it rough, makes it rough. But uh, uh, before we go here, we'll do a little couple of quick hits. Uh, Gail Simone, um, a comic book writer, revealed a stalled Poison Ivy slash Swamp Thing book. Uh, I think the artwork that they share in the article isn't actually from that. No, just it's, that it's, she, from, it's from another story. It's from another comic. Um, just that she had tried to get a Poison Ivy slash Swamp Thing book off the ground uh, and hasn't worked but you know once it's on social media people make a big enough ruckus dc might revisit yeah yeah it's yeah, it's literally it's literally from a tweet that she said she was like i have a graphic novel with this team up but it's in limbo and kind of people were like what is what does that mean and she was just like it's in limbo so it sounds to me like they were in some form of stage with with dc and it just kind of didn't push forward and it but it probably still has the potential to so i think it is a little bit like trying to stir the pot somewhat well to be fair once they released the the deadpool test footage the movie yeah, got true. made it's true so you, you never know you never know stir the pot uh and then finally marvel studios will be skipping hall h this year which okay yeah and it i mean it makes sense why you know marvel uh, in marvel's infinity war uh avengers infinity war is coming out and of they, you know, they don't want to reveal who's going to live, who's going to die. And they've talked about how they're not going to talk about their next set of movies until after Avengers 4 comes out because that's going to be like, they, you know, because they don't want you to know who's going to survive. And I actually appreciate that. I like that they're doing that a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of all the, really the motivation behind it is they don't want you to know who's walking out of Avengers 4 alive. Which is which is fair. I I think also went back when they did like the big reveal for phase th- all of phase three, uh, in terms of like they told you like the, the the characters and titles that they were doing for that, um, for that section of films. Like that was like five years. Worth. It's weird to think that that was like four ish or so years ago that they did that big like they did a whole big presentation and here's all the titles and they made you think that Captain America three was going to be the Serpent Society, but it was actually Civil War. Um, but I think they, they really put all of their, they lined up all their ducks, like, right, you know, from there where, like, so much can, I also don't forget the Inhumans was one of them, too. Yeah. So they they said, this is our plan, and then, you know, from a PR standpoint, then they're, like, backtracking, like, like all right, well, we're not going to do Inhumans, and now Inhumans became a really shitty TV show. 
Um, uh, and, did, like, and didn't they say they're going to move away from the phase system a little bit? I heard th- there was someone quoted. The other thing is, like, at least the way that we t- are able to get a lot of this news is we usually get it in piecemeal where someone takes one interview and then writes 10 different articles on it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that there's a lot of times where unless you really try to go back and find the original interview, like, th- they're probably being misquoted. So they could say that they're moving away from the phase system, but... I mean, right. what does that really mean? Like, we're we're moving out of phase three, but presumably they're 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 still going to be working within an interconnected universe. And whether they do an Avengers five just with a completely new lineup or whatever it might be, like they're working towards something. So, what's the big deal with calling it phase? Mm-hmm. Now, just uh, just for kind of some comparison here. So, The Walking Dead, we talked at their lowest point, did like six point something million. Uh, the Inhumans, their premiere got a rating of 5.5 million, and then by the end they were down to like 3.3 million. So half of what Walking Dead was getting at their lowest point. What on, shows? On uh, this is Inhumans on a major oh, okay. network, and Inhumans has still not been officially canceled. It's just hilarious to me. Uh, anyway, those are our news stories. And before we get into our reviews, guys, I just wanted to ask real quick if you like this show, if you listen to this show, if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your this podcast and they have a rating system, to go in there and give us a five-star review. We rarely ask you guys to do this, um, but this show, you know, never has sponsors because it is a labor of love that Nick and I like to do, uh, and it, it would really mean a lot to us. We, we want more people to hear the show, to, to participate in what's going on. It would mean a lot to us if, if we had ratings that mean that people could see us a little bit easier and listen to the show and take part in it. So, yeah, we try not to uh, bombard you with these sort of requests very often, but I'm going to ask you right now. And uh, why don't we go ahead and get into our reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, Nick, first up, you are going to tell us a little bit about The Hunt for Wolverine. Yeah, so this was a book that I really wasn't thinking about reading, but then I thought, why not? Let's just check in with the Mighty Marvel Machine and just see what the return of a character we already know has returned is all about. Um, So I like to call Hunt for Wolverine officially hunt for Wolverine or otherwise known as the quest for more money. Number one, Uh, um, what makes this, this series interesting and it's unspectacularness is that it's so back in the day, it's not that like you you pick up a certain old issue where like, you know, even on like older Marvel comics, it'd be like, nothing's ever going to be the same. And this issue, someone dies, you know, stuff like that. But usually, like like when Stacy, like they they showed a whole bunch of faces, and they said like someone in this issue, someone on this cover is going to die in this issue. You didn't know it was Gwen Stacy until you actually read the comic, and then the issue became famous. Mm-hmm. But now, they literally put the death in the title, so we had the death of Wolverine. You knew that by the time you got to the end of that event, Wolverine was going to be dead. So it kind of, to me as a reader, it's like the it's like it's like watching most of the highlights of a film before actually going to go see the film. Like when you go to watch it, quote unquote, officially, you already have a pretty good idea of what to expect. So I might not know how Wolverine is going to de- going to die, and that's certainly probably the most important part of the story is how they execute it. But you just told me that this really integral thing that I now can't experience via my own emotions. In, in the heat in the heat of the moment, so to speak, has been taken from me. And I think when it comes to enjoying popular media or any kind of narrative, you don't want to suck that window. Anyway, Wolverine died, uh, and this is the story of him coming back. But like four months ago or whatever, when they did Marvel Legacy number one, they revealed that Wolverine, the real, genuine Wolverine, has now returned. Um, and then apparently he's been popping up in backups, uh, backup, uh, stories in various Marvel comics where like, Oh, Wolverine or Spider-Man's in London. And like, they just almost destroyed big Ben. And like, here's Wolverine just off by the sidelines, but like, Oh, just missed him. Like he just kept just missing people or avoiding people, but like was like somewhat tangently interacting with their stories at the time that these backups were appearing in. 
which okay that's already enough and kind of annoying but now they're they're doing hunt for wolverine number one which is a one shot leading into like three or four mini series all around various characters Solve, trying to solve the mystery of where is Wolverine before I think ending in a, a final one shot. Where I think in the world is Wolverine. That that song's not as snappy. No, you know, like, um, where in the world is Carmen Sandia? It's a thing. So that's that's another thing where where with the hunt for Wolverine, like we already know that Wolverine is going to be found. So to me, this is kind of my plea to Marvel and DC and any company that tends to do this, but especially Marvel. Um, like as much as like, it's good, I guess it's good for publicity, but I feel like a lot of times for publicity like this, you're not really publicizing it to the true fans. And I'm not always about just catering to the true fans, but when you do publicize this, like you're really trying to bring in eyes that are just outside of the comic sphere to notice. And hopefully obviously the idea is to get more, more books off the shelves. But when it comes to stuff like this, where you reveal ahead of time that this character is going to die, or you reveal ahead of time that this character is going to return, really sucks the wind out of the story. And if anything, it's partially based on trying to inflate the value of a book, because more people are potentially going to buy it, thinking that maybe it's going to be worth something. But Hunt for Wolverine number one is not going to be worth anything compared to Wolverine's first appearance in Incredible Hulk or Giant Size X-Men number one. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling here. Um, but in terms of the content, not a bad written issue. Not a poorly written issue, I should say. That was a poorly constructed sentence, though. Um, in terms of, like, the Rion de Terre, I can't pronounce the word. The reason for them having to hunt for Raison d'etre? Raison, raison d'etre? Raison d'etre? Okay, what's embarrassing for you is I know for a fact there's a French person in the room with you. Yeah, but I'm not going to ask her. Uh, yeah, that's um, probably smart. <laughs> so, anyway, um, their reasoning for having to hunt for Wolverine is actually not that bad. So, for those that don't remember when Wolverine died, he ended up encased in an adamantium that just kind of fused with his entire body. So, they even mentioned in the comic, like, his his body, you know, it's not just that he it's him and then he's got, like, a nice chocolatey adamantium shell like keeping his body intact is that the adamantium has even gotten inside his body in ways that like you couldn't easily separate them. Spoiler alerts. So the, the, a team of reavers actually attacked the place where they interred Wolverine's adamantium encased body. Uh, and the spoil is that they, that when the reavers finally find a way to split the adamantium open, cause they want Wolverine's body, his body isn't there. Can and you ask. find out that prior to him being laid to his final resting place, um, Colossus came up with the idea to use Kitty, a Kitty Pride, to use her phasing powers to retrieve Wolverine's body. I'm not surprised by this at all. From inside the adamantium. So they make the emphasis that this is a really difficult thing to do, but Kitty ultimately succeeds. And even though she does retrieve his body, he's still very much dead. So then they bury him elsewhere in Canada. Um, apparently, Kitty's been making frequent visits to, uh, to Wolverine's uh, burial site just to talk to him, um, but then somehow gets it in her head that something's weird about the site out of nowhere and then realizes that he's not there. So that's basically what it is, is that no one knows that his body is missing. And it makes sense in-universe, like if this was really happening, like we know that Wolverine is running around. These characters don't know that Wolverine is running around. And only a handful of people knew where his actual body was buried. So now you have a group of people that are all like, all right, where's the body? And it makes sense too, because Wolverine's body is considered a fair, a pretty, um, what's I'm looking for, um, valuable resource in terms of like any, like any scientist worth their salt that could take his DNA and like try and replicate him. Like you don't want that happening because that's weapon X all over again. So there's a lot of reasons why people would want Wolverine's body. And there's a lot of reasons why they want to stop his body from getting into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. Um, so Kitty Pride ends up taking that as a starting point and, recruiting various heroes, both X-Men and Avengers and or non-X-Men characters, at least like Daredevil, um, to assist in figuring out where Wolverine is. So as far as a launch pad to, to create reasons that, that we have all these multiple series that all have to tackle this thing, even though we know at the center of it that Wolverine has escaped, 
actually not that bad. I, I actually didn't dislike reading this particular mm. one shot. At the same time, I really have zero interest in reading three or four separate miniseries that all are ultimately going to come to the same conclusion. Maybe there's there'll be interesting revelations in all of them, or just interesting things for various characters to do. That you, like like Daredevil is going to be the star of one of them in terms of assisting with the investigation, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from this. But in my mind, it's not necessary. And I feel like this would have been a much more enjoyable and and um, compelling experience had it just been in Uncanny X-Men number whatever random issue where suddenly you realize oh, Wolverine's back and it just gets woven into the regular ongoing X-Men story instead of some quote-unquote prestige event that highlights its intent on its cover. Hmm. All right, cool. thoughts. All right. Uh, man. Oh, I should probably should mention the Humphrey Wolverine was met, written by Charles uh, Soule, and then the force, first part was drawn by um, David Marquez, uh, and the second part was drawn by Paulo Sequeira. Sequoia? Sequoia? Anyway. Anyway, very cool. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. It's funny that like he's not back integrated into the team or anything like that, but he has been back since September 27th, 2017. That is when Marvel, is, there, is there like a wolverinesback.com? Is wolverinestilldead.com tells you the exact date and they give you, you know, it's when he showed up in Marvel Legacy number one, which was September 27th, 2017. So they are still dragging this out. Oh, oh so, so that, I, I, for some reason, I thought Marvel Legacy happened more recently. No, I knew right? it happened last so year, but maybe I. like November or December. But you're right, since September, and it's now late April. Yeah, it's almost May. And the focus is now on him. That's yep. kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Very cool. Well, this week I'm going to be talking about not a comic book, but a comic book TV show. And that is the one that is currently hot on the air, Legion, which is on FX. Legion Season 2 specifically, I'm going to talk pretty pointedly about the last couple of episodes, uh, which are chapters 11 and 12, um, season, episodes 3 and 4 of this new season. Just kind of a quick overview. Uh, for people who have not watched Legion, you absolutely should, Nick. Um, it is a great show. The f- <laughs> it follows the story of David Haller and sort of his conflict with the Shadow King, uh, Amal Farouk, and the people that he has kind of met up with along the way, um, most of them being original characters for the show. I think only David and Amal Farouk are based on Marvel characters. Um, And in this season, uh, their conflict with the Shadow King has kind of taken a uh, a new dynamic. The Shadow King is looking for his body, and if he finds it, he'll be apparently very, very powerful. And uh, while they're on the search for that, they in the last couple episodes, there was this uh, this monk character who made uh, made people kind of get trapped in their own minds. And what you have is David Haller, who is a very powerful psychic, going through to some of his team members and going into their minds and having to find uh, what their their core desire was. And um, and kind of having them deal with that and get, finding a way to reach to their core desire to talk to them. Like there's a character in the show who uh, never forgets anything. Everything that's happened in his life, he remembers with per- picture perfect clarity. He can also enter other people's memories, uh, and they, you know they can view them and, and use that to kind of deal with some trauma and and what's going on with David in the first season. And when they get to his core desire, it is that he wants to forget. So it is him sitting there uh, at in front of a rose bush with a pair of scissors and uh, you know some flowers in a basket, and he you know he cuts one of the flowers, sets it in the basket, and then immediately forgets what he's doing. Discovers the scissors, the flowers snips one puts it in the basket like he's just in the cycle of forgetting um it's they 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 play with some fun stuff there and in in the end of last episode they have him enter the memories of sydney barrett who is or sid who is uh david's girlfriend and this episode is primarily in that memory loop um, where he is trying to figure out what her core desire is 
and uh, you kind of go through her life several times, these key events in her life several different times. Um, and it, it kind of gets into more than just like, what is her core desire, but also like, what is her life and who is she as a person? And it's really fascinating how they approach it. Um, what I really like about this show is, you know, oh, entering memories and people getting locked in mazes, of, like memories of maze and their desires and stuff like that. Like, that's not new. The show isn't sitting here trying to tell you, like, oh, look at what we're doing. It's like in the first season, you know, people thought that, oh, they're trying to do the whole, like, ah, you're crazy and hearing voices, but it's really the voices of other people's and their thoughts, and you're, like, really psychic, and you're okay. But it's like, no, there actually is, like, something going on with your mind. Uh, And David is an unreliable narrator, which is why there's, like, really advanced technology around them, but everything has this really 1970s aesthetic to it. So it's like, how is he viewing the world? What year is it? Fairly unclear. Um. And that kind of continues, especially with these couple episodes where, you know, they're approaching maybe not a new story, but they're using it to tell a very good story. And uh, there is a, a moment in particular in this episode that got talked about in season one in, in Sid's past that we get to see happen. And it's kind of a harrowing experience. Um, I don't really want to give too much away on that. Uh but it is, yeah, it is interesting and kind of rough. And these last two episodes have just been really great. Season two, you know, that first episode of season two, it seemed like they were really ramping up the weird, and they are. Um, but they're, they're not telling a weirder story. They are telling a little bit more of a straightforward story this time. Uh, and it's really great. You get, you know, you get the things that you love from the first season, Um Dan Stevens as as David. You have Aubrey Plaza. Uh, we get the addition of uh, of the character of Amal Farouk, who has some really nice interplay. Um, Jermaine Clement plays a, a role in this episode in this season a little bit more than he did in the last season. John Hamm is the narrator. Uh, which, you know, I I have a love for John Hamm, and he's doing a great job. So. I am super excited about this show every week. I am excited about this show's possibilities. I want to see what's going to happen next. If you have not, and this is not just a jab at Nick, if you have not watched Legion, but you've had sort of a passing interest to do it, do it. You will thank yourself when you do. Uh, Noah Howley is uh, doing just a fantastic job with this show, and I think it is the best story out there featuring mutants and Marvel that's being told right now. You know, I think this is better than any of the, probably what's going on in a lot of the comics. This is better than what's going on, especially in the movie stuff. This is just great storytelling. So get out there and watch Legion. There's several ways to do it. Uh, But the first season is all on Hulu. So there you go. Well, I'm convinced and I You've will been definitely convinced for weeks. speed up my timeline by one to two years. There is a there is a dance scene in the first episode of this season that uh, I am obsessed with. And the Legion uh, Twitter account tweeted at me as, as, as I've been posting about it. And so that's a pretty special feeling. Uh, we did not do a book that both of us read this week. Instead, we're just going to kind of, uh, with with Infinity War coming out this week and b- both of us having watched all of the movies, except I, I did not get a rewatch on Black Panther, but I saw it a couple months ago. You've seen Black Panther a couple times, so it's still fresh enough, I think, to be in our memories, but just kind of the MCU. In memories. Ten years in, the MCU... How are we feeling about it? Pretty, pretty good. Um, I definitely enjoyed the surprising experience of rewatching all the films in a semi-timely fashion um, <laughs> prior to Infinity War. Um, it was great revisiting a lot of them that a lot of them that I hadn't really watched since they first debuted, you know, a decade ago, a little under a decade ago for some of them, like rewatching Thor again, rewatching Captain America, the first Avenger, which I know you did, you disliked, Mm -hmm. but I actually really enjoyed the second time around. I didn't actually dislike it when I saw it in theaters, but I have a a stronger appreciation for it. Um, 
now than I did then. Um, so it's, it's fun as a fan going through and seeing kind of like, you can kind of see where like they had a wink and a nod towards like future plans that they already had in play versus other times where they kind of were just picking up the ball and running with it because they really didn't know what was going on in some of the earlier films. Um, Mm -hmm. but overall, like it's a pretty big achievement to have made so many films to have really built up an interconnected universe. Um, you know, and, and really, and honestly, like there's, you know, there was some drama like Edgar Wright leaving Ant-Man, you know, or like there was some disputes with like Joss Whedon and maybe a lot of the directors are being paid off if they had any grievances, but like overall it seems the production, the quality of, uh, of, of life, so to speak for the productions, uh, seems to have been pretty, pretty stellar, you know, over such a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that there have been some missteps that I think we've talked about here on the show a little bit, you know, you really don't like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I think that it definitely has glaring issues. It's it's prettier than it is good story-wise. Um, and I think there's kind of this point in Phase 2 where thing like uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, not super great. You know, there, I'm just saying, like, there have been missteps. But overall, like, watching these... Um, and I've seen most of them more than once, a lot of them more than twice, to be perfectly honest. But I still really enjoyed them. And I, and I think this last run of movies up to um, up to Infinity War, where you had Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, are so great. And some of the best uh, movies of the MCU. Um, that was just really nice to kind of have those to, to end the whole thing on. Uh, I, I, I think it's, it's definitely an ambitious thing. Um, but for me, where, when it really shines is kind of, is the points when the movies are allowed to do their own things, um, where, you know, the winter, winter soldier was kind of this, the 70s spy thriller that felt like, I mean, yeah, it, it, it kind of had this central crux, uh, of the shield and all that, but it didn't feel super connected to everything. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, being its own crazy space adventure. Uh, it was, t- to me, when the movies got super in- interconnected is when they got super bogged down. I still really like Civil War, but I think that that movie suffers a lot from the amount of storylines they're trying to tell and the nonsensical villain plot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've said kind of my general thoughts is there anything nick for you that uh that doesn't hold up in the last 10 years uh other than eventually what will be guards of the galaxy volume 2 no i'm just right. i'm giving it i'm giving it shit but um it'll, i guess it's the cgi in certain um movies like uh, age of ultron had some spotty cgi in a, in a couple of scenes not not that much i think it holds up pretty well but i th- definitely think when you have extended scenes interacting with basically completely cgi characters uh, as 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 our eyes adjust and our, our perception adjusts to more and more even more sophisticated cgi than what we have now going back to rewatch them i think it's going to be a lot more glaring um so that that would be something that's hard to speak on right now, where like the CGI hasn't advanced too much in that time. But you know, give it another ten years and looking back, and it'll be interesting to when, to judge it when we're watching it in our hollow crystals. <laughs> and we'll be like, how um, crazy! Well, when we're watching that Avengers that ten or whatever. So we'll have had four Avengers, so Avengers eight in another ten years. Um, but us didn't hold up. Um, I mean, it's always like that hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, as much as I say enjoyed, like Captain America: First Avenger or Thor or any of the earlier films, like there's a certain level of like the later films, like especially the Cap films. You know, Thor three. Um, I guess I, a lot of people feel like Iron Man never really rose above its first entry, uh, even though I actually have I didn't mind Iron Man two as much as I did when I first saw it. And Iron Man three really wasn't that bad. Um, you know it. It'd be interesting, like, knowing what we know now to go back and revise those original films. Um, yeah, I guess 
that's just a really roundabout way of saying there's not a whole lot that I, 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 there's nothing really concrete that I think that they could change. Like, yeah, do I wish that Star-Lord wasn't like a dumb man-child in his depictions? Sure, but uh, I'm not going to get it. I mean, so. that's that's kind of the mode, right, that we've just kind of had to accept that all Marvel men are, you know, they're kind of man-children who are like, I'm going to beat you up, but I'm also going to be goofy and quippy, and that's just uh, kind of the effect of most things. And then you have Black Widow Mom coming in being like, I'm gonna, I have to pick up after you boys. I'm going to make sure you guys aren't getting too crazy because I'm the responsible one. Right. And, and I mean, that, and that's to I mean, like everyone's just kind of quipping and like, you know, framing Black Widow as like the, the errant mom, you know, is, is funny and also kind of typical. But, um, you know, even within those characters, like the men weren't like dumb man children, like they were making jokes or they were, you know, like everyone's friends. So like they're picking on Cap for, for, uh, chastising Tony for swearing, um, and it's different when you're you're Peter Quill and like you are a man child, you right? Know? Like Doctor Strange would, would make quips, but he wasn't a man child. Um, so there's a difference there. But that's just based can, on yeah, me I and my my preference on how to depict Star Lord not being met by a film yeah. where everyone's literally just an asshole to each other. <laughs> yeah, I have brought this up quite a bit, but I'm still going to bring it up right now. Um, Good Lord, Spider-Man Homecoming has a lot of screenwriters on it. It is amazing that movie turned out like it did. Uh, You know, 10 years of films, and it took 10 years to get a movie that was made by a person of color and starring a person of color, and we have not had any movie yet that has starred a woman, Ant-Man and the Wasp, sure her name's half the title i'm not going to count that uh, you know we're not getting i mean all right i'm not gonna say i'm not going to count it but it's a sequel it's not like its own standalone film right she's um, she's the co-starring in the film yeah. which is great but still not what you're it's, referring yeah, to it's, it's not until 11 years that we're going to get captain marvel and that is being directed by two directors one of which is a woman but one of which is also a man like i there's been so much opportunity for them to challenge the norm and to to uh, to highlight people and and their talents and especially with like the way that they kind of that they kind of run thing which run things which is like they run a pretty tight ship over there you know Edgar Wright was out and they had Peyton Reed come in and things didn't really like miss much of a beat. You know, you're telling me that, like, you couldn't have a moment like that. It's like, okay, well, we can't get a competent woman director in here who will play, like, along with our toys by our rules. And it'll come out kind of as as Marvel products do. Uh, I, I really like these films, but I think that they could have done more for uh, people that are not straight white men than they have. And the fact that they haven't is a little bit disappointing. Um, I'm still excited for Infinity War. It's just we could have we could have made this more than just uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We could have made some stronger statements by now. I would agree. I agree. Yeah, I guess that's really uh, that's really all I've got to say on the MCU. Uh, do you have any last thoughts you want to share? No, I mean at the end of the day, you got to enjoy the movies for what they are, and just. You know, it's a constantly evolving thing, and there's more opportunities in the future for Marvel to course correct in some places and improve in other places. And it'll be very interesting to see what the landscape is like for the next 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. And I just really want uh, Taika, Taika Watiti to direct more stuff. Marvel, let him do more things. I guess, well, what is, what is Taika Watiti's heritage? I actually, so he's in New Zealand. New Zealand, yep, yep. Okay. I just wasn't sure. Uh, well, I cannot pronounce any of those words. Um, his father is... Wow, okay. Sorry, the name, like, his, the name of the place his father is from is crazy, and I wouldn't even try to pronounce, try to pronounce it here, because I will... Do it. No. Do, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Te Wahnua uh, Apanui. Yeah, I guess that. that, that sure. 
cool. So well, uh, so then I wonder then what his heritage is. If I mean he's he doesn't seem like he's maybe just a a white guy. So maybe well, he's he's not. He's maybe like Maori or something. Like more of like native New Zealand. His father is Maori. Yep. Okay. Yep. So all he, right. So, all right. so all right. You know what? I will give it to him that it took them. Nine he's also years. referred to as a Kiwi, so maybe that's just one article getting it wrong. And his mother know, is I, Jewish. I don't think Kiwi and Maori are the same. I think they're two separate ethnic groups within New Zealand. But all right, so I will say it took them nine years to get somebody who was not just a white guy directing these films. I think most of my statement still stands. Anyway, uh, you know, we've kind of run our time here, and I think my recommendation would just be Legion. And let's be honest, Nick doesn't have a recommendation. So I think. Hey! You don't, though. You're right, you're right. So, guys, thank you so much for giving the show a listen. You can always find out more at heckyeahcomics.com, and you can reach us to us, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com or heckyeahcomics on Twitter. You can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. You can find Nick farting. Is it really bad? And, of course, you can always find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.